You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. This morning, John chapter 15. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And as you know at this point... John is focusing on uh, those who are believers. He's focusing primarily on those who have already professed faith in Jesus and reminding them, encouraging them, instructing them how to continue to uh, exercise this faith as they walk with Christ every day of their lives. This continued faith in order that the faith that they have might grow and be strengthened. And so he is teaching them. And here in John chapter 15, we come to one of the most beautiful pictures of Christian discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus in all of the New Testament. How many of you have ever received any kind of a disconnect notice in the mail? Anybody show of hands? Anybody willing to admit that? None of you guys, you're lying. Um, Anyway, so a disconnect notice in the mail. Whenever something that you depend on every day uh, gets threatened to be disconnected. How many of you have ever been deleted as a friend on Facebook? All right. So you know what it means to be disconnected from that friend. How many of you have ever lost someone that you love? We all know what it means to be disconnected. Jesus here teaches us what it means to be connected and the necessary, the necessity rather of uh, being connected to him, abiding in him in this picture of the vine and the branches. And we have a lot of ground to cover. So if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire And burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master, what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from the from the father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I I pray that you would help us to see in these words and in this picture of the vine and the branches what it means to truly be your disciple. Lord, I, I am... Aware this morning that there may be some in this room who are followers of Jesus, who are true disciples. And there may yet be in this room others who are not true disciples, followers of Jesus. And so would you speak clearly this morning and divide the crowd so that we might understand our spiritual condition before you. And as you speak... Would you make the lost aware of their need for salvation today and call them to Christ today? And I pray that they would believe, that they would trust you and be born again. Lord, for the followers of Jesus in this room, would you make plain what it means to be a follower? And I pray that we would be faithful to what you speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So Jesus says, I am the true vine. If you've been following in the book of John so far, you will have noted that these words, I am or ego, I me in the Greek are incredibly important. They signify not only Jesus claiming to be something and someone, but namely being the same Jehovah God that we see in the Old Testament Claiming for himself the same name that was given to Moses there at the burning bush. I am that I am. Jesus claims to be this God. God in human flesh. And so this is one of those I am statements. The last of the seven. And the only one, by the way, that contains an additional statement about the Father. Until this point, they've all been about only the Son. But this one speaks specifically about the father calling him there in verse one, the vine dresser. My father is the vine dresser. So you'll see this in a moment. 
But that statement displays the unique role of the Father and the Son in the work of salvation. So hold on to that. But nonetheless, Jesus is claiming for himself the same name as God the Father. And what he uses here is an everyday normal illustration of this vineyard. He's, he's teaching in an allegory or a parable, though some may not call this a parable because it doesn't tell a story. It is a picture. And the word picture is intended to present for us a teaching. And that teaching would have been fairly common in the day, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. They would have readily understood the illustration that Jesus was using about the vineyard, probably from the in, in the walk from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane that we've talked so much about, probably in that walk they would have run across a vineyard or maybe two. And it's possible that Jesus would have stopped at this vineyard and held in his hand a portion of a vine and said to them, looking at this vine, I am the true vine. But even if he didn't do this, it would have been so familiar to them that they would have understood exactly what Jesus was Saying, maybe even picking up a a withered branch on the ground, showing it's being dead and withered and because it was disconnected, it had withered and died, disconnected from the vine. There were occasions, other occasions where Jesus used the vine imagery. You might recall the story in Matthew chapter 21 when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. The story of the vine or the vineyard is told as a condemnation to the Pharisees. It was a story about this this vineyard owner, this house owner that built a vineyard and left it to the tenants to care for. And when the master's servants came, they beat up the master's servants. The story is a condemnation to the Pharisees about how they were treating followers of Christ. It's not only common to the New Testament, it would have been common to the Old Testament. And even there, it was used as a negative symbol, symbol of Israel. In the Old Testament, this symbol of a vine was pointing toward the failure of Israel to produce good fruits. And that was resulting in their judgment. For example, Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 21. Yet I planted you a choice vine, God says about Israel. Holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? You can read more on your own. Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7. Much more expanded picture of how Israel fell away from the Lord. They became a degenerate vine. When you get to John chapter 15, you have something that is unique in all of the Bible. It is the first time the vine is spoken of in a positive sense. And it is the first time, the only place, in fact, where Jesus refers to himself and not his followers or not the the nation of Israel as the vine. In the picture, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's setting himself in opposition to those who had failed. And Jesus saying, I'm not a degenerate vine. I'm not a vine that's going to live for a while and die. I'm not a vine that produces bad fruit. 
He's saying, I'm the true vine, the one to whom Israel was intended to point to. And the one whom anyone who's connected to this vine bears not only some kind of fruit, but good fruit. Jesus is the true vine. But the allegory is not just theological. It's not just showing us Jesus as the divine fulfillment of prophecy. This picture of the vineyard is also instructional for the disciple, particularly for the disciple, the one who is a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't take long reading the text before you discover what Jesus' main point is to those who are his followers. It's found in this word, abide. Look at your Bibles with me. Verse 4. Verse 1, actually begin in verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Right? So then he begins to speak about those that do bear fruit. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So he's speaking to disciples. These are ones who are already clean because of God's word spoken to them. They've believed upon Christ. And verse 4 is the command. He says, abide in me and I in you. That's Jesus' takeaway. If I'm the true vine, the Father is the vine dresser. Disciples are the branches and the father is pruning the vine, taking away branches that don't bear fruit. And he is pruning those that do in order, they, in order that they might bear more fruit. And he's speaking to those who are saved. The word that was spoken to them now becomes instructional. The command is abide in me and I in you. The word abide is in the Greek, the word meno. It means to remain or to stay permanently or to endure. And so in the context, it's to remain, to stay permanently in Jesus. What he's saying is you must remain in me, abide in me permanently. All of the life of the branch If the branch gets cut off from the vine, all of the life that's flowing into the branch ceases. And so in order for the branch to continue to live and to continue to produce fruit, it must remain connected to the vine. Without the vine, the branch has no ability on its own. It can do nothing. And the same is true of disciples. If we lose our attachment to Jesus, if we get disconnected from Jesus, if we get cut off from Jesus, then our whole life and everything we are and everything that's been infused in us, everything that we have is gone because we are 100% totally dependent upon Jesus. So he says, abide, remain in him. And that's his main point, and I say that's his main point. Why? Because not only does he say it in verse 4, he says it ten more times in this passage. Verse 4, unless it abides in the vine. Verse 4 again, unless you abide in me. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away. 
Verse 7, if you abide in me, and then he goes on to say, my words abide in you. Verse 9, abide in my love. Verse 10, you will abide in my love. Again in verse 10, abide in his love. You get down to the end of the passage, and again in verse 16, that the will of God is that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We must abide in Christ. Here's the main idea. The core discipline of Christian discipleship is abiding in Jesus. The core discipline of Christian discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus, what do we do as Christ followers? What's the main thing that we are after? It is abiding in, remaining in, staying permanently in Jesus. Our lives infused to His and from His. Every fiber of our being connected to Jesus. That's the core of Christian discipleship. You remain in Jesus and His life flows through you. But you can't do that apart from Jesus. Your Bible reading, all the time you spend in God's Word, it will dry up and wither and die apart from Jesus. Your worship, your song, your affection for God will dry up, wither and die apart from Jesus. Your love, your joy, your peace, all of those things will dry up and wither and die if it's not for Jesus. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, the way that you treat others, that will dry up and wither and die apart from Jesus. You will not be able to be faithful apart from Jesus. You will not be able to be self-controlled apart from Jesus. You will have no moral compass apart from Jesus. You will have no discernment of what is true and what is error apart from Jesus. We as Christians must abide in Jesus or we have no life at all. This is the core discipline of the Christian life. In fact, this one instruction is such a defining characteristic between what is Christian and what is not that it actually becomes the line between true discipleship and false discipleship. Those who follow Jesus and those who really don't. Those who are clean, as Jesus says, and those who are not. Those who produce fruit and those who are good only to be gathered up and thrown into the fire, thrown into the fire and burned. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. By the way, this is, this is the whatever you ask, right? The whatever you ask, follow this, abide in me, ask for the fruit, bear fruit. That's the whatever you ask he's talking about. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. A fruit-bearing life, good, godly, spiritual fruit results from 
abiding in or remaining in Jesus. And that glorifies God and proves The word there is to demonstrate or to give evidence. It proves that you are in fact a disciple of Jesus. One who's committed their life to following Christ. Learning and obeying Jesus. Obeying his instruction. That one is one who abides in him. This is the evidence. The proof that you remain in Jesus. And it's by the way not simply an identification with a certain religion. It's not like marking your religion of choice on a census card. If you've scrolled Facebook lately, you may have run across a post that says, if you really believe in Jesus, repost this. If you don't, keep scrolling. It's not the kind of proof that we're looking for here. In fact, that proves nothing about your spiritual life. The evidence of following Jesus is that you remain in Jesus. This is hugely important because we in the church have largely in our Western culture defined our Christian life and our Christian identity by a prayer that we said or a church that we joined or a particular movement that we associate with. But Jesus does not define Christianity that way. Jesus says, you're in me if you stay in me. That's what he says. Abiding or not abiding in Jesus is, in fact, the line between true and false discipleship. And this is where the role of the father comes in. The vine dresser. Jesus said, my father is the vine dresser. And then he tells us what that means. Verse two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Two things Jesus says that the Father is doing. Number one, God the Father is pruning fruit-bearing branches. Praise the Lord for that. God the Father is pruning fruit-bearing branches. Things, these are branches that already bear fruit. These are Christians, followers of Jesus, who are bearing fruit, but there's things on the branch that need to be removed, pruned off, in order that more fruit might come. He's cutting off. Those things that don't bear fruit. And I want to tell you this morning that sometimes, believer, that process is painful. When he prunes us and removes from us those things that are not profitable for the kingdom. Those things that are not honoring to Jesus, that are sinful. As he's doing that, he's doing it in such a loving way. With such a gracious intent that we would bear more fruit as his disciples. So he's doing that. The second thing that God the Father is doing is he's cutting off non-fruit-bearing branches. He's cutting them off from the vine. They are in some way associated with the vine. They look like the other branches, but they're not bearing any fruit. There's no proof, no evidence that they're connected to Jesus. And listen to what the vine dresser does. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me... He is thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now, that might be a direct metaphor for hell. But even if it's not, it certainly stirs that image in our minds, doesn't it? 
And this is the end that the Bible promises of the promises for those who reject Jesus. And the vine dresser gathers them and throws them into the fire. This should be a resounding warning and indictment on cultural Christianity in our day. Because there are scores of people around us, especially in America, that call themselves Christians. They can check a box on a census or post a Christian meme or wear a Christian T-shirt or even get warm fuzzies on the 4th of July when we sing God Bless America. But there's really no evidence of Jesus in their life. Not growing in godliness. There's no growth in their affection for Christ above all else. No real conviction over sin. There's no developing hatred for their own sin and repenting of it daily. There's no real aspiration to live righteously and holy. No real desire for the glory of God above all else. And can I tell you that there is a world of difference between that person and a follower of Christ. Jesus says non-fruit-bearing branches then are cut off from Christ, not because they somehow lose their connection or their identification with the vine, but because they were imposters to begin with. The question then that remains is, what branch are you? As you consider this text, are you the branch that abides in Jesus? Or are you the branch that is cut off? You will fall into one of those two categories. There is no in-between. So what I want us to do with the time that we have left is I want to talk to disciples this morning. Genuine Christ-abiding disciples. That's what I see this text doing mainly. And I want to show you in this passage what it means to abide in Jesus. There are six characteristics here of those who abide in Christ. But if you're here this morning and you are not a disciple of Jesus, over this time, listen and evaluate your life according to these characteristics and see what the Word says about you. Because you don't have to dry up and wither and die. You can right now be connected to the vine and have life and life eternal. So, six characteristics of those who abide in Jesus. Number one, those who abide in Jesus continue in His Word. Those who abide in Jesus continue in His Word. So follow with me carefully. Verse 3, Jesus makes this distinction about the group. He says, already you are clean. Remember, he's already talked about them needing to be clean through what he would do whenever he washed their feet. You remember that picture? There in John chapter 13, he washes their feet and he says, this is not the cleansing. There is coming a cleansing. Unless you trust in me, you will not be cleansed. That was the summary there. Here he says, you're already clean. And he gives the reason. Because of the word that I've spoken to you. So he's preached the word to them, he's proclaimed the gospel to them, and they have been made clean in the gospel. So these are followers of Jesus, and he says, as a result of that, abide in me and I in you. 
It's the first time the command is given. And it's given directly following their being made clean by the word. The natural thing for us to read here is that they are to continue in the same word that made them clean. But even if we don't read it naturally, it's there in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. What I've already spoken to you, this word that has been proclaimed to you, you abide in this. Can I tell you, church, that if we are following Jesus, we're going to stay in the word of Jesus. We'll abide in his word. Remain in his word. Stay there permanently. Not just the gospels, by the way. In everything that Jesus proclaimed and taught. Second Timothy says that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof. For correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Jesus taught all of the scriptures. We know that from his walk on Emmaus. We know that from his conversation about the law, that all of the law and prophets hang on those two commands. Jesus taught and lived the scriptures and showed his disciples how to do that every single day. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't walk away from the word. You anchor your life. You anchor your worldview. You anchor your Your belief, you anchor everything that you are in the word. You hold your Bible in your hand. You love your Bible. You endure in it. You remain in it. Whenever it convicts you, you sit under its correction. Whenever it encourages you, you are built up. Whenever it speaks peace into your life, you trust in what it says to trust in. You abide in his word. What does it mean to abide in the word of Jesus? Well, certainly, if nothing else, it means reading it. Tragically, many Christians don't even do that. Reading God's word as your lifeblood. Memorizing it. Studying it. Anchoring your whole life there. Submitting your life under its authority. Testing everything that you hear on the news and everything you read on Facebook, not by your opinion and not by your emotions in the moment, but by the unchanging objective word of God. True disciples stay in the word. Abide in the word. Secondly, those who abide in Jesus depend on Jesus life. They depend on his life. Verse four, latter half of it. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And you should underline this phrase. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. You don't wake up every day apart from Jesus. You don't make major decisions in your life apart from Jesus. You don't determine what is right and what is wrong apart from Jesus. You don't declare your purpose for your life apart from Jesus. You don't make moral determinations apart from Jesus. You don't form ideas apart from Jesus. 
You don't understand relationships and how you treat other people and what's demanded of you within a relationship apart from Jesus. You don't steward your personal resources, finances and the things that you own. You don't parent apart from Jesus. You don't be a husband or a wife apart from Jesus. Jesus now shapes and determines everything that you do. He's your life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That's the statement. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you are in Christ, your old person has, de- has died. And you are alive in Christ. Christ lives in you and lives through you. Everything that you do is dependent upon him. This is why Paul said in Philippians 1, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He counted everything lost in order that he might gain Christ. Christ was all to him. Those who follow Jesus depend on him for their very life. Third, those who abide in Jesus grow in obedience to him. This is key. They grow in obedience to him. Verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Okay, so he's not interested in you just bearing a little bit of fruit. By you looking like Jesus in one area of your life. He wants you to be a. A branch that has like grapes everywhere. Like this is this is your life now. Everywhere you look, I see Jesus in you there and in there and there and there because you're bearing much fruit. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. And he goes back, circles back to this obedience piece. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So not just some fruit, but tons of fruit, good, godly, obedient fruit. And what is that fruit? It's obedience to the commands of Jesus. And not just the the commands of Jesus about our conduct. Right. We all want a list of do's and don'ts from the Bible. But Jesus is not interested in you just doing and don'ting. Jesus is concerned about your character. He's concerned that you are like him in your character, that you think like him with the mind of Christ in a worldview, that you live like him and for him in his mission. This is all encompassing a desire for more and more and more obedience, which does, by the way, include pruning. It means that God has got to remove some things in our lives that keep us from bearing fruit. And if you're like me, there's a lot of those things. There's a lot of broken twigs. There's a lot of decaying parts of my branch. And God is in the process of removing those every day of my life. But we ought to be not becoming content with the decaying parts of our life, but willing and ready and eager for God to prune all of that in order that our obedience might grow every day of our lives and become more and more like Christ. The Bible says that the Lord disciplines who? Those whom he loves. So grow in obedience to Christ. Fourth, those who abide in Jesus are overcome by his love. Those who abide in Jesus are overcome by his love. We're halfway there. Hang in with me. Verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
So abide in my love. What does that mean? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So this is not just an emotional kind of love. This is an acting kind of love. He says, just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Something about that love is producing something. And in order to compel that love, listen to what Jesus says in verse 13. He says, let me describe this love to you. Greater love is no one than this. See, see the greatness of my love. That someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus says, you've never had any greater love than me going to the cross for you. You've never experienced the kind of love that I'm about to display by laying down my life for you, meaning in your place. And believer, can I tell you that there is no greater compelling force in all of the world than the love of Jesus Christ. Who loved us and gave himself for us. And he says to them, it's not that you chose me. It's that I chose you. 1 John 4.10 And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Jesus loved us. His enemies. He went after us with his life. He saved us by his blood. This is compelling. Be overwhelmed. Abide in that. And that produces the obedience that is described. Number six. Those who abide in Jesus extend his love to one another. It's not just enough to... Rather, we miss number five. Back up one more with me. Those who abide in Jesus are filled with his joy. Can't leave that one out. Curtis, we can't leave this joy out, right? Verse number 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He wants his joy to be in us. He's spoken these things so that the joy of Jesus would be in us. Remember... (coughs) That Jesus is speaking to disciples with troubled hearts. Do you remember? Jesus doesn't want Christians to be humdrum, angry at the world, the sky is falling, no hope in life. That's not who Jesus wants his followers to be. Do you know why? Because we have hope in life. The sky is not falling. And Jesus is still seated on his throne. Amen? And it doesn't mean that it's going to come without hardship. Remember the joy of Jesus that's described in Hebrews 12? For the joy that was set before him, what did he do? Endured the cross. There is a joy that we know that is not phased by the things around us or even the pain that we endure. It is a joy that is deep within us that is unshakable, unquenchable because it is rooted in the joy of Jesus Christ and He lives. And so those who abide in Jesus are full of joy. And number six, those who abide in Jesus extend His love to one another. Those who abide in Jesus extend His love toward one another. 
He's already said this once. But verse 12, the commandment in view, not that all the other ones are not important, but the commandment in view is that you love one another as I have loved you. And he describes that love that we've already read. And in verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. This is beautiful. Abiding in Jesus is not something you do alone. This is not just a personal abiding. This is a communal abiding. We talk about biblical community here because it matters that Christ is not just in you, but Christ is in us. And as we abide together in the name of Jesus, we actually abide in him together and Christ abides in us. The particular commandment is that we love one another. That's the place where obedience grows, the place where our faith is tested as we live life together. And you cannot say that you're a follower of Jesus if you do not extend love toward the brothers. So the clear call of Scripture then is to remain, to abide in Christ, continue in Christ. And that's what sets you apart as a true disciple, the one who remains in his word, Depends on his life, grows in obedience, is overcome with with his love, filled with the joy of Christ, and eager to extend that love toward one another. Would you bow your heads all across the room this morning? The question that remains is which branch are you? Which branch are you? Are you the branch this morning that you know Jesus? You've been grafted in to Jesus. You've come to know Him as Lord and Savior of your life. There's some things in your life that needs, need pruning to make you more like Him. Get some things out of the way so that you can bear more fruit. Are you willing to set under the conviction of God's word this morning and to surrender those things in order that the vine dresser might come? If you want to know Christ, if you want to be near to Christ, if you want to abide in Christ, that's what we do as believers. Others of you are here this morning and you would be one of those branches who is withering and has all but died. Today, if you would give your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, surrender everything that you are, God will restore you in Christ to Himself. And today, you will begin to bear fruit. You will know the life of Christ, and not just the life of Christ, but life eternal. No longer to be gathered up and thrown into hell, but ultimately to spend forever with Jesus. This is the good news of salvation. If you would trust in Christ this morning. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do in just a few moments. When we stand together, if that's you in this room, you want to follow Jesus with your life, I'm going to ask you to step out from the place where you'll be standing and walk down this aisle. Pastor, today I want to know Jesus and I'll lead you to Christ 
And today Jesus will save you. Maybe you're here in this room and you need to surrender some things to the Lord. This altar is going to be open. Maybe you want somebody to pray with you. I'll be here. Whatever the case is, you respond to the Lord. Would you stand with me all across the room as I pray when I finish the invitation will begin and Dylan's going to lead us. Lord Jesus, have your way in this place. In our hearts, we pray that you would help us to abide in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You come this morning. The altar is open. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.